everyone, and thank you for joining me on the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast, where we share some of our favorite creatives to inspire your own creativity and connect you to the global art community. I'm Sarah Barnes, an artist as well as a writer and editor with My Modern Met. I'll be joining Jessica as one of the voices on Top Artist. It's nice to meet you. Before I saw the work of my first guest, Ian Barry, I didn't look at my favorite pair of jeans and think art, but Ian sees things differently. For him, a closet of denim offers an incredible color palette for his textile collages. He deconstructs pairs of jeans and uses them as the raw material for his works, which showcase interior spaces and outdoor scenes. I was curious about his artistic process and how he is able to achieve such incredible details, like capturing the highlight on a washing machine door. Because when you see his work, it too will make you look at jeans a bit differently. I had the pleasure of speaking to Ian about his meticulous process, including how all of his textile images are based on photos that he shot on his own. If you'd like to connect with Ian's art as we chat, make sure to click the link in the show description to see his work and follow along. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining us from London. Your work is spectacular and it is all made with denim. It's what you've become known for, but you didn't just wake up one day and decide that you were going to work in denim. What came before that? Well, when I um, discovered that I wanted to work with denim, it was kind of by accident. I was actually studying to go into uh, advertising. Uh, So I was trying to be an art director and I ended up working in London, working on brands such as Nissan and British Airways. It was quite exciting, but I was always wanting to do my work work on the side but admittedly I'd um, listened to both saying that there's no career in art there's no money in art there's no um, you know no life with it and ironically I've just had a big show open in uh, Holland and that Van Gogh mentality is very very rife there as well and I kind of think that that put me off and I wanted to have that kind of guaranteed job which if anybody knows anything about advertising it's nothing guaranteed mm-hmm. um, but yeah I ended up going into into advertising and uh, but on the side I was always working with this this denim and somehow that took over my life. So you were you working in advertising about three years before you kind of made the leap into like a full-time artist? Yes. Yeah. So I had a job first in London, roughly about 18 months, and then out in Sydney, Australia for about 18, 19, 19 months. I was out there for like two years. And uh, I actually, we had a lot of financial clients and it was 2008 and a lot of them pulled the money out and everyone lost their jobs. But I didn't. Oh wow! I was ended up remaining as the only art director, so I was kind of acting creative director on the art side. So it was very, very stressful, and eventually I lost, um, I lost my job. Oh wow! Um, but for some reason, I knew that day it was going to be the best turning point of my life, and it proved to be. Yeah. Uh, very daunting. I had thirty days to leave Australia, and uh, when <laughs> I was already going back for Christmas to London, and I f- didn't want to go back, so I ended up going to Sweden, one of the most expensive countries in the world, to try and be an artist, <laughs> hid away. And um, and yeah, I think somehow it managed to, to work out. I think because the, the price of alcohol there is so expensive, I just probably didn't drink it. A deterrent. And yeah, and it was just very determined to, to make a success of it. Yeah. Well, part of your process is photographing your subjects before you actually recreate them in denim. Um, why did you begin to do this? Well, when I when I started, I was um, you know I was experimenting with different you know I was, as I was going into advertising, I was obsessed with this idea that famous people used to wear 
denim. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're all wearing denim now. So you've got James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Marlon Brando. You know, in some ways, the kind of people that you now stay away from in the art world if you want to be an artist, because it's, you know, it's kind of that Warhol thing. It's done to death. Mm -hmm. um, but I have noticed that, you know, most of my favorite artists are one that use different materials, for example, like Max Zorn with tape, my friend Mark Evans with uh, leather, like etching out of leather. And I did notice that a lot of us started by, you know, developing this technique, but often with famous faces. So I started with those, but it was also because, you know, in the 50s, 60s, people saw these people wearing jeans and copied them. Mm -hmm. And everybody started, like the teens of the 50s, 60s started wearing jeans because of James Dean, Marilyn Monroe. The girls wanted to be Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, she was seen wearing this Lee jacket and it took off. But going back to your question, the photographs, I believe, uh, you know, an artist should have their own voice. Um, it could be very easy to rip off images off the internet. You know, some people do do that very well. It's appropriation, all sorts of things. But I like to tell a story and I set up scenes, light them especially, because the thing that people forget about my work is, is not just about genes. It's, uh, I'm obsessed with the way light hits things. So I set up scenes of, you know, even if it's in a living room or a hallway with a really interesting tiled floorway or um, a laundrette with the shiny, shiny uh, metallic washing machines, a bar top. Um, you know, I really want to depict the, the light that hits these materials out of denim, which everybody thinks is quite a matte material, but I challenge myself to try and make it shine. Mm. Um, but of course, my work's a lot more more than that, I try and tell a story, a narrative. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, as I say, it's, it's not always just about genes, but I am obsessed with my craft as well and keep pushing it and pushing it and um, want to be the best, um, uh, you know, at manipulating this material to, to make people think it's not genes. Mm -hmm. And most people don't um, realize it's genes until a gallerist or someone says, if you look, have you actually really looked? It's, it's made out of jeans and it's still incredible to this day that some people don't, <laughs> haven't realized. And if you're earwigging, if you're in a gallery or an art fair or something, you, you're kind of like there, but not supposed to be there. And you hear people talking. It's always kind of incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I was having breakfast once in a hotel opposite my gallery in London and somebody walked in and said, I, have you seen have you seen the gallery window it's absolutely incredible and the person who we spoke to goes yeah i can't believe it's all made out of jeans and the original person goes what <laughs> <laughs> so it's always kind of incredible like because i don't want it to be all about jeans but it is that aha factor admittedly mm -hmm. when when people realize that really draws people in yeah can you kind of like walk us through your process because you don't just use like you know, like part of the leg i mean you experiment with like using the hem of jeans and like you, you incorporate some different textures with of the jeans themselves so, so when i started i was i was very much using the pockets the hems the the bits the, the rivets to kind of go hey look this is jeans <laughs> whereas now i'm using all those bits to try and hide but it's jeans um i don't know if it's partly i've gone off jeans a little bit i don't know what, what i don't know what it is um but i try and use all those interesting bits the washers the cat's whiskers the kind of fading around the hem the, the um, crotch area um mm -hmm. opening up a pocket and getting a gradient from really strong indigo to to light mm -hmm. uh open up a hem and you get like really interesting um characteristics and that's all the things that make me able to make it shine um so yeah going back so i obviously starting about starting thinking about a body of work um 
to, to pull it all together. It might be a theme, it might be a collection. Like the last one was actually one called Hotel California, which was all on trying to get across that light in Californian hotels, but that kind of very LA kind of feeling. And mm-hmm. then I would work from a photograph and I don't do anything in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I might put a person in, take one out, that kind of thing, but it's, I don't do any manipulation. I work from a color image. People would presume that I work from black and white or blue, but you can't replicate blues in those um, things. Um, so I work from a color image mm-hmm. and then kind of craft it by layering up the jeans. Um, so there's no tool on the computer which I can use to do this. I just do it by eye, layering up the different textures. Um, now I think I've said that 15 layers in a laundrette from the back to, to the ring of the door. Um, so that's something that gets lost online on Instagram. Wow. Um, you don't really don't really see that become really flat because you know, they're quite large pieces. So when you put, post a whole picture, it becomes very, very small and people do think they're just blue, blue photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm layering them up and I'm trying to match the different jeans together. And I don't want to bore people about jeans, right. but there's obviously very, there's many, many different jeans in the world, as people would know. And there's many different shades, but within those shades, there's something called casts, which um, the base of the, the color of the jeans. So if I match like a mid-tone of blue with a light tone of blue, but one is on a white kind of cast and one's on an orange kind of cast, it wouldn't match kind of correctly. So I've also got to match those. Uh, so I can spend half a day just finding one little piece to, to connect together. Um, but it's the challenge. And I think because, I mean, the, I know the viewers can't see this, but yeah. you can see behind me, I've got about 2,000 pairs of jeans. And that's actually become problematic because you know, I'm, got a big studio in london but it takes up a lot of space so yeah it's, it's not so easy to do no you've got color theory because yeah some jeans like you mentioned are more you know they the casts are different and so you're dealing with that you're dealing with like texture as well so yeah there's a it seems like there's a lot that goes into it um so that makes it even more incredible and another reason why people should see your work in person uh, which we'll kind of talk touch on later but I do want to switch gears a bit. I mean, you've mentioned, you know, you're an artist that, you know, happens to work with denim as a chosen material. I think this distinction is important because your medium does not dictate your visual language. Um, and you've previously creative work, obviously, you've said like with laundry mats, you know, pubs that kind of shows like the changing fabric of urban life. But COVID-19 has fundamentally altered how we lived. And that's kind of inspired you, obviously, to work, look at the world differently. So can you talk about some of the shifts that you made during this pandemic time and how your work has has shifted with it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've all gone through the jokes of all artists live in quarantine anyway and isolation. And I mean, I, I very much do. I have this big, big East London studio, live on one floor, studio on the next. So I, I'm quite used to not going out for a week anyway. Um, and luckily I've had the, this really nice canal outside to look at. Um, but what my problem was, as we discussed, I do work from photography and the week that we had our lockdown in England, all my photo shoots got canceled. And ironically, I was shooting some quite well-known people in their own homes in this kind of isolation. It was just gonna be them surrounded by their own environment. And it was this kind of thing where, you know, live imitated art that I'd been de- de- depicting isolation for you know at least ten of the fifteen years I've been working, and 
you know, whether it was isolation in a pub, like basically this feeling of loneliness in a big city, uh, you know, like single people in a laundrette. And, you know, then obviously then behind closed doors, which I started in 2016. That term behind closed doors in England, at least, has become quite a popular term this last year since COVID. And all this showing people locked in their homes, which was not the idea of behind closed doors. You know, that was actually showing people in very, very expensive homes in London and showing, um, you know, materialism doesn't bring you this happiness. And I also wanted people to think that it's it's a very well for us now because Twitter's taken over of this nastiness that people think that we can be nasty to people who are famous. And it was then that I started noticing, like 2015, I really started noticing the shift where people just really thought they could be nasty. And by showing people with all this wealth, it made people come in and see this and see that people, no matter what people have or, you know, how much money they have or how much wealth they have, it doesn't mean that they're happy. It doesn't mean that they're whole. And what was scary about that exhibition is so many people came in and they just said, wow, that's me. Wow, that's me. Ironically, it was me. <laughs> Not many people realized. A lot of, like, it was also depicting my life at the time because a lot of my friends just thought I had it made. I, was, you know, I think that year I had 44 flights around the world. Wow. You know, Sometimes I have photographs with famous people, but they don't see the minute before. They don't see the minute after. They don't see the hard slog. As you know, you're an artist yourself. You know, There's a lot of hard work behind the scenes and it was just kind of mm-hmm. so so it came from a different area but then obviously covid hit my shoes cancelled and then i needed to make a body of work to actually show in a, a dutch gallery a german gallery in a, a dutch museum sorry and i was kind of lost because i was like well what what do i do and in the first week i asked a few friends who were photographers could you take some pictures at home uh, in this isolation and then they asked some of their friends I put a call out and ended up getting lots of different pictures. The idea was that I was going to turn them into denim, but I was like, well, this isn't really what I'm living. This isn't, you know, this is their story. They're great photographs. So me and the curator decided to show them as photographs in the museum. Um, you know, in the museum, in that setting, it was really, really well received and it actually opened my show and then went in and showed my isolation. So I was basically thinking, well, what do I do? And I've noticed for the first time in such a long time what was around me. I lived in Sweden previously. Well, I lived in Australia, then I lived in Sweden. And I was always traveling to take photographs. And I was like, I've got to go somewhere else and depict this. Then I moved to London to say, right, I need to live what, with what I'm depicting. And suddenly I find myself in LA and New York all the time doing scenes from there. And for the first time, I actually noticed where I lived. Uh, the spring was amazing and the light was coming through. And so I ended up making my living room as as a piece but also like as an installation all made in denim um which depicted things like going into the bedroom and pictures of my wife asleep alone <laughs> um the chesterfield the mirror all made in denim my record collection yeah as well as yeah. what's it like to work in because those were you know they're three-dimensional which is you know I feel like you're so well known for these like two dimensional pieces, but you had like a plant that you've like you recreated out of denim. What was what's it like work, but shifting between two D and three D? Um, it's actually it's quite a shift, but it's quite nice because my work, which is two D, which if you see it in real life is three D. Yeah, um, right. but basically this is is two D, um, like traditional paintings, let's yeah. say. Um, they're very very time consuming, really labor intensive. 
and everybody thinks the installations must, must be more. Um, but it's quite a, a fun thing to do. Like, as you know, with my modern mode, we were one of the first to actually pick up my, on my secret garden a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of handmade flowers and things, but I do use laser machines. Mm. And, you know, I do get a little bit of help from some people. Whereas in my work, I get zero help i can't really teach them. i don't really want to teach somebody to right. to do that side of it but with installations i get help uh, like the chesterfield you know, i commissioned somebody to remake my chesterfield uh, using um, some special denim uh but you know then within that there are the records which each one was handmade in denim there was an album that an actual you, you could actually play the album the, the record player sorry and mm-hmm. um, there was a window in denim you know the carpet uh, so uh, it, it kind of, you know, I, I, with that, I don't, I, I don't want to push it into the gimmick um, territories. Admittedly, you know, I've really, really fought for years to push my work away from the gimmick mm-hmm. because you know the other sites we've got, hey, look at this, it's made in jeans, and my work is, you know, a lot, a lot more than that. But the installations, I think, sometimes are a lot more immersive in museum spaces. It brings a lot more people in and. As, as discussed before, that my work, people come who do say, I really loved art at school, but then I got scared. I don't go to galleries, but something made me want to come and see this. And I believe there's something in the genes that allows that. And sometimes when I do the installations, I just think it's a little bit more welcoming. A bit, um, it just brings a little bit more. I, was, I could go into the same denim's versatile and all this kind of nonsense, but... It, but it is, and with that, it's just sometimes I just want to make something. So I've ended up making like a laundrette all out of denim as well to complement it. I mean, admittedly, that first laundrette was um, I made, I was going to show him Basel a few years ago, and it was going to display all the work in there. Um, my, the show got cancelled, actually, so uh-huh. then I just ended up building it in my London show. Um, but my first installation was a newsstand, um, I think it was 2012. I made made that one, mm-hmm. and basically I started making all the magazines that I was in. Wow! And I was like, oh. and I was like, went to New York. I was like, oh, these newsstands are closing down. And if you watch these films through history, it's always a newsstand is this center where people share stories, mm-hmm. communicate, and that side of life I think is going. So I wanted to depict and kind of show that these newsstands are such a beautiful relic, but they're all closing down, especially the traditional kind. Mm-hmm. So another project that came out of COVID was your iClap 4, which is different than your installation that you created. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, so um, so I showed it in the museum as well in the installation. There's a, there a window and one of the, like in a denim scene, there was this projection of two, two pairs of hands and the motion was clapping. And you know, as people know, in many different countries, clapping took off in the in England or the UK. It was ten weeks. Wow. But my project, it was not my project. It was my son's project. And uh, my son Elliot is six. And the first week, uh, we went out on the balcony, and I was like, "What was it for? What is this?" And he just, you know, after having a, a week indoors, not allowed to go to school, all around the canal where we are, all the different apartments came out clapping, and it was very moving. It was dark at at that time of year and the noise is incredible so we could tell him what it was for you know his auntie who's a nurse on the covid team in sweden uh, our friends who are doctors nurses and then other people that are having to go out there 
And he was obsessed, he was dreaming rainbows. And then he said, well, what else can we draw? Can we do the clapping? So he took the pictures of my hands, uh, which looking back, probably should have done his. And we were just going to send it to some friends as a card or something, mm -hmm. but we wanted to make it clap. And so we decided to do two. I made them in denim, which is the only link really to anything of my work, other than obviously the beauty of it was communities coming together. Um, but then sadly, you know, it went from communities to politics. But anyway, I'll stay away from that one. <laughs> um, uh, but for me, stress the emphasis that it was, you know, we had this campaign, it was who do you clap for? So people could write in and answer. Uh, I, I clapped for my mum, she's a nurse. I clapped for my sister, she's this. And but also then it was groups of people, you know, they'll be obvious for healthcare, but then it was so fascinating that people would, you know, I thought the beautiful one was uh, something that a lot of people didn't think about was I clapped for people in the prison service. And we ended up projecting these all over the country. And you know, then it came across to America, Mexico, Colombia, Italy, Sweden, Australia. Um, but what was incredible, we got it from furthest north part of Britain to the furthest south. We got it all over Ireland. We got it to the east of England. I think almost every single major town and city in the UK had one in. And it just traveled like beacons and you know, well away from me. And it was such a great thing because, you know, in England, we couldn't go out yeah. at the time, but it was a way of being able to show the medical people and ambulance drivers and things to have that solemn kind of clapping in the night sky, just a bit like it was, you know, the first ones were a bit like the bat, bat sign in the sky. And it was just this nice thing. And I only had good goodwill from the medical people who saw it and, and it ended up going into hospitals as well um you know but in the end i, I pulled it to be honest uh, I, I i stopped it just because i didn't want to get, to get dragged into the politics and um um but i never felt any negativity towards the campaign and it was you know it became a lot more than just me i had projectionists around the world and a lot of people who um did you know a lot more than i did even um but elliot was very very proud to see, to see yeah that was my next question <laughs> yeah. yeah and you know that that for me is what the beauty of that was in this covid period is it got very nasty political but these the children had new heroes and mm -hmm. you know i do think that we've celebrated the wrong people for quite a few generations uh, i don't want to like label them and the bad people some of them but it's just like who do we want our children to look up to and you know these these people who um you know do got to to university and study and will look after us and you know who do we want <laughs> like in really bad times um do we want the ones with massive instagram accounts and things or do we want the 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 people who can really help us but do it humbly and so yeah I, I without just, I, fanfare I yeah yeah and like i think that that was the thing in the end a lot of them just didn't want the fanfare thinking about after times you know post-covid world and even as we the vaccines are being rolled out. Shows are opening up again. You have a show right now, correct? Um, and it's an exhibition where people can go and see your work. Yeah, so I had to I have um, a few shows going on, but the, the main one is one in Holland, uh, Museum Ryswijk, uh, which is uh, by The Hague. And I opened it just before Christmas, but then it closed down. Um, so it was going really, really well. I had some really nice press, and um, I, I used to live in Holland, so I had a lot of friends and connections there. It's also one of the denim capitals. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of the denim industry turn out as well. It was going really well, and then it closed, uh, which I don't begrudge that. I think it was the right decision. 
Um, but then it's been opening and opening and opening and it's due to open in a few weeks. Um, but the good news is that it's still going to get pushed back into, I think, maybe the end of May to June time. So it's still, it's still, it's still going to have a really good, good run. Um, so I'm not moaning because, you know, other artists, you know, had lost everything last year. On the flip side of that, I would say that I did have three shows open in the fall and in three different, different countries. And let's just say um, the opposite side of having everything cancelled was doing a lot of work and all the admin and the stress <laughs> aside of that. But it was great. And I mean, I managed to tra travel in last time to Germany and Holland and to, to open shows. Um, so a lot of people from England, at least watching on Instagram, it was like, how are you managing to do this? <laughs> you know, we haven't been outside in a long time. So it was, it was great. But then hopefully I'm going to be doing something in Genoa in the spring uh obviously covid is um very been um uh pesky with with that one um but then the one which i'm really certain will go ahead and really do well is uh in the museum uh, uh textile museet which is the national textile museum of sweden um which will by then probably be my biggest show to date it's exciting and uh, unconnected but it's in the um it's in the country I used to live in for six, six years, and it'll be, be nice to be back, um, try out my brief Swedish. Um, but it's also like the start of this kind of movement because it's in a textile museum, which shows amazing like textile art as well. And uh, um, But when I was there, it was the Versace exhibition uh, from v and in London. Uh, it was this really, really amazing place, and it's in the heart of the industrial revolution of Sweden. And even as much as I try and say my work isn't about my material, I do love the history mm -hmm. of um, both textiles and denim. So, you know, mentioned one will be in Genoa, that's where the word jeans comes from. Um, hopefully they're showing meme, which is where the word denim comes from. And hopefully over there in Greensboro, North Carolina and San mm -hmm. Francisco, uh, to, to link in with uh, the history and have a bit of a tour and connect connect all those places. So when people see your work in person, what do you hope that they kind of take away from it? Do you have an experience in mind for them? I think it's that age old saying of like, don't dictate to them what they want to see. But I, I find that with, when they see it in real life, as I've had people follow me for 10 years and you know journalists even write about me three or four different print magazines even and then they get to see a piece and they're like mm -hmm. i had no idea it was like this and while they know my work is more than denim i think they connect a lot more when they see it in real life um it doesn't translate well on instagram online um but in real life it is an amazing experience and i feel on top of the world when i'm with somebody and they see my work in real life i feel like as good as anybody and they see the depth the textures but then they actually there's an emotion i mean people think that blue is a cold color um, but there's something in indigo that is really really warm which comes across in real life and which lit really well um so it's you know when shows are curated altogether i do find that people get my work a lot differently they feel it they have an emotion um there's you know the behind closed doors body people are even crying you know that's not something i hope somebody else would say for me kind of thing but you know and even the gallery is saying like people were crying and um could see themselves in the work and they did state that normally people come in five minutes walk out with my work it's they come in five minutes on each piece and it's people are like really really studying the the way it's crafted the way it's put together but just having that moment and you know, I'm not a big fan of the big openings because you don't really look at the work. 
Um, so a lot of people came to the opening, it's hot, sweaty. But then afterwards, when people come, there's just several people in and it's quiet. It's the best experience for my work, I think. Well, Ian, thank you so much. This has been so much fun chatting with you. Um, but before we go, where can people find you on social media? Uh, so on Instagram, you can find me at, at ianberry.art. Uh, so the website's ianberry.art. And uh, what else is it? Facebook is also ianberry.art. It's easy. Um, I learned the hard way. I, I couldn't have ianberry.com right in the early days. So I had to make up a silly name to get a domain thing. So um, as soon as I could get the .art domains, I got that. So anybody who wants a .art domain, I do actually recommend that. <laughs> well, thank you again. This, was, this has been great. Uh, no, thank you for having me on. I hope that you enjoyed the latest episode of the Top Artist Podcast. Thanks to Ian for chatting with us. If you like what you hear, tell a friend and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way in helping other people to find out about our show. We'll be back soon with more conversations with inspiring artists. And don't forget, in the meantime, you can get your art and culture fix at MyModernMet.com. If you're a member, you'll get an ad-free reading experience and other great perks while helping to support the site. Just click the membership link at the top of the screen. 